welcome family to the Manifold Witness Podcast, where faith and witness are practiced. Here we seek to unify a community of believers through promoting a comprehensive discussion by extracting revelatory truth from the scriptures for yourself and others. And now your host, Oscar Lewis, and co-host, Alicia Lewis. Welcome, 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 family, to the Manifold Witness Podcast. I am your spirited host, Oscar Lewis, and I'm joined with my wonderful, beautiful co-host, Alicia Lewis. Alicia, please salutate the people. Hello, everyone. Oh, wow. That was so cute and dainty. Miss Southern Bell me. <laughs> so we're glad that you guys joined us today once again on the Manifold Witness Podcast. And we're continuing on in our series, The ABCs of Christianity. So we finished up with the what did we finish up last time? What, what? I don't even know what it was. It was Jesus, the man, the mediator. <laughs> she don't know either, y'all. We pushing, though. We still pushing, and we're going to continue to push. But yeah, the doctrine of Christ is what we're talking about. We finished up the doctrine of Christ. Yes. And so now we have entered into the first principles of the doctrine of Christ. And so we have entered into this teaching because... We want to lay a good foundation because we're living in a time where people are somewhat ignorant of foundational truths. We're living in a time where biblical essentials have eluded us and we have found ourselves building on a faulty foundation. And as the prophet said, if the foundation be ruined, where does that leave us? So we have to make sure that we have a solid foundation when we're walking out our faith because we want to make sure that we don't get to any wrong conclusions right? in our spiritual journey. Today's topic is going to be entitled, Have You Had a Change of Heart? Alicia, have you ever had a change of heart before? I have. Wow, that's awesome. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a popular dating game show entitled Change of Heart. You ever heard of that before, Alicia? Because you were born before. The late 90s. Yeah. So I would imagine that you've heard this show before. For those of you who are out there listening, if you need to date yourself, go ahead and do it because this show was in the early 90s. No, uh, late, late 90s, 90s. rather. Mm -hmm. Early 2000s. So the premise of this show involved dating couples who are matched up with other singles and then sent out on their respective dates. During the taping, they discuss their relationship, then their new dating experience. At the end of the show, the couples have to decide if they want to stay together or if they've had a change of heart. Today, we're going to see after all of God's efforts to rescue us, do we truly have a change of hearts? So first thing first, we have to understand that there are six teachings listed in Hebrews chapter six, verses one through two. And this is going to be the premise of our lessons henceforth. They cover the basic applications of the doctrine of Christ to the believer's life. They are the foundation in which we have built our Christian faith upon. They represent the first principles of Bible teaching that the apostle Paul considered the foundation of all Christian should know and be able to teach. So these teachings are 
are not simply intellectual. They are universal applications of the doctrine of Christ in the believer's life and experience. They are how the believer becomes a doer of the word. Now, we know that the scripture tells us, I believe it's in the book of James. It says, don't only be a hearer of the word. And we talked about that in another episode. That means to audit something. That means if you're taking a class at a university, you can uh, choose a class. And instead of getting graded for that class or receiving credit for that class, you audit it. You just go to listen to it without any intentions of actually proving that you have learned something. So the scripture tells us to be a doer of the word and not only a hearer. In other words, because of who Jesus is, these six teachings are a reality in the individual believer's life and in the word. As a result, Hebrews 6 and 1 reads like this. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Here we see the word principle. Now, we talked about this in other episodes. You remember that, Alicia? We talked about the Greek meaning of the word principle, mm -hmm. which means first, beginning, or elementary. Mm -hmm. We talked about what that looks like. Go back to when we first started talking about the ABCs of Christianity. So it refers to the starting place of our faith in Christ. Then it says, let us go on to perfection. In the Greek means to be carried along. This signifies God's desire that we don't get stuck in spiritual first grade. We don't get stuck there. We don't get complacent there, but we move on to a deeper truth. When a person gets stuck in the first grade and then they try to go on to deeper spiritual truths, this person, we would deem them to be a charlatan or a hoodwinker or a flim flam man. <laughs> or a deceiver. They don't even have the basics under wrap, but they want to go on and teach deeper truths in the things of God. A person who basically is a fraud. Did I say frog? No, I said fraud. Frog? Fraud. Frog. I think we're on the same page. Okay, okay. <laughs> Those of you who caught that commercial. But anyways, <laughs> we're talking about people who understand the first thing of our Christian faith. The first thing we're to know and understand as believers is the foundation of repentance. You would be surprised if you talk to people and ask them what true repentance is, you'll get a myriad of responses. We cannot be saved without the act of repentance, turning completely to Christ because of our association or our oneness with Christ. Because of our association or our oneness with Christ, because our spirit is one with his, it says that in Corinthians, our lifestyle choices should reflect our change of heart. There should be a change of mind as well as a change of practice. I'm about to go theological on you. Here's that education I paid for and I'm still paying for it. <laughs> so in theological circles, you're going to hear at least two of the three theological terms that I'm about to throw out to you. Okay. You're going to hear at least two of them. The first two you're going to hear about is orthodoxy. Alicia say orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. So orthodoxy is correct doctrine and teaching. Doctrine simply means teaching or instruction. So the content is right. Mm -hmm. That's what orthodoxy means. Now the next theological term is orthopraxy. Alicia say orthopraxy. Orthopraxy. This is correct living. That means the lifestyle is right. So we have orthodoxy, which means the content is right. Orthopraxy, which means the lifestyle is right. Now, the third one is one that eludes some theological practitioners. And this one is orthopathy. Now, you probably won't hear that very often, but this is the one that I believe most people don't really consider as it relates to 
our life being changed. And orthopathy, or at least you say orthopathy. Orthopathy. It means right emotions and or affections. That means the feeling is right. Now, see, in doctrine and in teaching, the content is right. That means you can learn these different teachings and instructions as it relates to our Christian faith. You also can portray a life that seems good. But the last one is something that we have people still trying to navigate through. Why? Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 5 gives us a little insight on this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So there are three things in this scripture text that tells us what we ought to do. We ought to love the Lord with all of our what first? Heart. Now, according to rabbinical literature, the heart was a center of every human being. So the heart is likened unto your spirit. And then we have your soul. Your soul has to do with your mind, will, and emotions. Thirdly, we have your strength. What do you think that is, Alicia? What do you think that third one is? Strength might be correlated with body. There it is, your body. We need to love the Lord with our spirit soul. These are the trifectas of your Christian faith and how this faith should be expressed in your human life. We have people who have good doctrine. We have people who have seemingly a good moral lifestyle, but we have people who have feelings about things that does not express the love of God. And if that is not aligned with what the word of God says, that means you don't love the Lord in that. People who struggle in their emotions, they're not loving the Lord with their soul. People who struggle in their spiritual walk, you're not loving the Lord with all of your heart. People who struggle in their physicality, are you showing that you really love the Lord in how you treat your body? We're talking about repentance now. That word repentance in the Greek is used 24 times in the New Testament, which means a change of mind, a complete conversion, a turn, change of behavior, or new course, a completely altered way of life. It implies a decision made from our will. This change of thinking and believing results in a change of behavior. In other words, the proof that genuine repentance has taken place is a marked change in one's lifestyle. Now, there is a quote that goes like this. Watch your thoughts. They become your words. Watch your words. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. Watch your habits. They become your character. Watch your character. It becomes your destiny. You cannot compartmentalize your life because one thing leads to another. No matter how we try to separate our lives and say this is this and that is that, your life is so interrelated. It's so intertwined. So we have to understand that we can't live compartmentalized life. This is how the first century church understood what being a Christian is. It's not just something I do on Sunday. It's not something Something that is performance based, making sure I'm following all the rules, making sure I'm a good little Christian. Then you got the people who are making sure that the teaching is right. I got good teaching in my life, but you got some bad feelings in your heart. So we got to understand this stuff because this is Christianity 101, folks. And some people may be listening to this and be like, I ain't never heard this before. I really feel like that this is, to me, when I see it, it's, some of it can be a little bit convicting in that I know that I have compartmentalized some things in my life. 
But then when I really, truly look into the word, it becomes more and more beautiful that God had made it such to where that he is bringing everything together, though, in our lives. He's not he's not pushing one area of our life as far as like teaching and following rules and doing things a certain way. He really is trying to bring us into wholeness. Amen. That's that's what it's about. It's not about condemnation. We're going to get into that later on. So first Corinthians six, 19 through 20 reads like this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. This type of repentance is uniquely for the Christian or the believer. This is Paul writing to the believers in the city of Corinth. Only Christians have the grace from God to turn from evil. A non-Christian or unbeliever may try and amend his ways, such as people who are going to rehabilitation programs and things of that nature. And these things are not bad in and of themselves. But these are more so behavior modifications. But until the blood of Christ is applied to their hearts, their sin nature will keep them in a fallen state. A man in pursuit of God is like a mouse in pursuit of a cat. It just doesn't come naturally. You cannot expect people who are non-Christian and unbelievers to act like Christians when they have a nature that will prevent them from even living a Christian lifestyle. So we cannot yell at the darkness and say, why are you so dark? And that's what we have sometimes in our pulpits. People talking about how dark the world is. The world is on par. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're in darkness. Lighten up. Give it a break. You don't need a lot of revelation to see that this world is in darkness because the God of this world has blinded them. Blind means to gouge out one's eyes. We're talking about a person who has no eyes to see. All right. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 17, 9 puts it like this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Me and my wife, sometimes we watch these shows and. You know, what's the show? Uh, American Greed. Oh, my God. At American Greed is something else. You would think that, okay, all right, take 300000 okay? <laughs> and, and, and go on about your business, okay? Take 500000 mm-hmm. go on about your business. No, I want $17 million. No, I want $50 billion. I'm like, <laughs> what the? I'm like, come on, folks. You should have stopped a long time ago, man. But anyways, that goes to show you the condition that folks are in without Christ. Mm-hmm. We don't understand how bad this is. We trying to do behavior modification. No, I, that person needs a new heart. Or even in this case, they try to do uh, judicial reform. Yes. I mean, you go to jail. Yep. Uh, rightfully for stealing. Yep. But if there still is no true change of heart you're gonna be the same person same old devil just a new dress on not everything that looks like repentance is actually true repentance judas is an example of someone whose emotion may have indicated repentance judas actions after he betrayed the lord was anything but true repentance for matthew 27 3 puts it like this then judas which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and went out and hanged himself that scripture used the word repented when he saw he was condemned the scripture says 
Judas repented. People say, man, why people get Judas all the time? He repented. He felt bad for what he did. Well, let's go a little deeper at, on that word repented. The word repented in this verse in the Greek simply means profound sorrow. Someone engulfed in grief or swallowed up in regret. Unlike the original word for repentance, it's a completely emotional word. It has nothing to do with making a decision for Christ or changing the way one thinks. It indicates regret, but not a change of heart. That means it's totally superficial. This sorrow drove him to take his own life. Man, who would question that? Man, that person really must have felt bad about what he did. But really, that's not the repentance that God is after. He's not after you feeling sorrowful or you feeling regret, although that may be part of it. Mm -hmm. Emotions may be a part of you feeling bad about what you did. But it's about changing your heart. It's about changing your attitude, change your behavior, going in the total opposite direction. Jesus began his ministry calling people to repentance by calling people to turn and go in another direction, to change their mind and to change their attitudes. So when the apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he told the people they needed to repent. Repentance is the birth canal through which people must pass to enter the kingdom of God. God commands all men everywhere to repent. This is his requirement. It is a decision of the mind and no emotions are necessarily involved or even required. So when you find someone that is uh, feeling sorrowful and regretful for what they've done, that's a start. But let's not stop there because as Christians, we are now empowered to overcome the sin nature in our lives by the grace, which is that divine influence. That's what grace means. It means divine influence provided to us when Jesus died on the cross. We are not only forgiven, but we are empowered by Jesus' death on the cross to overcome sin and live above it. This is not something we do in and of ourselves, but it is something we have surrendered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is at work in us to accomplish God's perfect will in our lives. Our place is to acknowledge him and cooperate with him as he makes us new. It is the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. You start off one way, but you end up another. First John 1 and 7 gives us a little bit more insight on this. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You need to put quotes around that. The blood of Jesus, my God. It's something about the blood of Jesus that gets things turning in your life. Mm -hmm. The blood of Jesus, as a songwriter says, it never loses its power. Not only brings you into forgiveness of your past, present, and future sins, but it diminishes your vulnerability to sin. As a believer, this is what grace is. You know what? I'm going to say it. So that word grace, and I, I know some people may not fully understand what this term grace comes from. It was a secular term. They really co-opted the term grace. It means charis. During the Greek and Roman times, when a person said that person is under charis, you know what that meant? That person was under the spell of the gods. That's what it meant to be under a spell. That means that person is under a divine influence. So it doesn't even come from within us. It comes to us. And that's the power of the grace of God. A Christian is not as vulnerable to sinfulness as a non-Christian or unbeliever. So if the spirit is inside it, you're going to go, but you ain't going to go that far. You're going to press the brakes. The spirit is inside of you. He going to cause you to press them brakes. It is not to boast as though we have accomplished something on our own, but it is the work of grace. It's that divine influence. First John 1 and 8 reads like this. If we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. That simply means if we're left alone, if we're left to our own devices, we will in inevitably fall. If you're walking around here thinking that you are invincible, 
You could just tolerate anything. You could just handle anything. The, the, the saying goes like this. Every man should know his limitations. <laughs> you got to say that to yourself. I have limitations. There are things that you just can't handle. Lord, I, I'm about to get indignant in here. <laughs> we got to go ahead and admit that. So stop playing. Stop acting like that don't bother you. That, no, there are some things if you do not allow the grace of God to come and help you in this situation, you're going to fall, bruh. And sus, sus. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to fall. The fact of the matter is that we who believe on the finished work of the cross are not left to ourselves. That's the difference between us and the unbeliever. The empowering presence of God within us offers us victory over all our shortcomings. And I could go into the weeds on that, but I'm not going for the sake of the podcast. I'm not going to do it. But if you have accepted Jesus from the heart as your Lord and Savior, you are born of God. Being born of God, the seed of God is in you. The scriptures reveals this as the person of Jesus himself living in the heart of the believer. First Peter 1 and 23 says this. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. See, this is a great mystery. The seed of God in us word who believe. That's a mystery. I'm, I, I don't care what type of theological education you got. It is still a mystery. We got to understand that there are things in God that I believe that we need to let remain a mystery. Stop trying to analyze everything. Stop trying to deconstruct everything. Just embrace this wonderful work of grace that God has bestowed upon us. This seed is a manifestation manifestation of God himself dwelling in our hearts. Think about that. Think about all the, and I'm going to use a modern day vernacular here, but think about all the jacked up stuff you didn't did, even while professing being a Christian. Mm-hmm. God says his seed is still inside of you and you are a part of God. And you know what? That seed that's inside of you, that's a part of God. Peter calls it incorruptible. If you are born of God, that part of you is made free from the obligations of the endemic nature to sin in your spirit. Folks, you are just like Jesus. That's why Paul says walk in the spirit because okay. in the spirit is where your power is. Mm-hmm. And the spirit is where your overcoming is. And the spirit is where your victory is. That's where everything comes from in your spirit. Why? Because your spirit and Jesus spirit are one. Mm-hmm. Romans 5, 19 says this. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. First John chapter three, verse six says this. Anyone who abides in him will not sin. The word abide means to remain, continue, endure, not to depart, to remain as one. In short, if our hearts are fixed on Jesus and not looking right or left at the temptations of the world, sometimes we can be looking and trying to figure out what's going on around us. And then we find ourselves what? Sinking. Mm. The Christian life is not just an endless cycle of sinning and being forgiven. The word of God holds promises to deliver us from our self-made prisons. We have built the prisons that we are living out of. They are self-made. Romans 8, 12 puts it like this. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we are no longer indebted or obligated to sin. It's often been said, I could not help myself or the devil made me do it. However, in the life of the believer, we have choices. But in the life of an unbeliever, sin is seen as just another day in the office. As a result, in our relationship and fellowship with Christ, God helps us and gives us power to obey truly and have a change of heart. So like Share 
and subscribe. And until we meet again, love, joy, and peace. Thank you for joining us today on Manifold Witness Podcast. We invite you to journey with us and subscribe to the show for the latest and the greatest. Until next time, love, joy, and peace.